Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Where were you when Daniel Bryan became undisputed WWE champion at WrestleMania 30? Let's go back further, actually. Where were you when the Attitude Era was born as Stone Cold Steve Austin won his first WWF championship? No, no, let's go back further. Where were you when Hogan slammed Andre? Further than that, where were you when a young, fresh-faced Luthez beat Orville Brown for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship? Let's go further back. Where were you when Gilgamesh battled Enkidu? I mean, that last one is mythology, so chances are you weren't there. I'm about to tell you the story of what is believed to be the first ever wrestling match. Introducing first, the dazzling and sublime King of Uruk, Gilgamesh! His opponent, the wilderness warrior known as Enkidu, the fighter. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of the first ever wrestling match in a bit. So presume spoilers ahead, okay? But first, I want to tell you about the ancient Sumerians. Situated in the ancient region of Mesopotamia, which is modern day Iraq and Kuwait, the Sumerians are considered the earliest sophisticated civilization. It's written that through the help of the gods, they were the first people to develop ideas like farming and carpentry. They were also, so we're told, the first people to enjoy beer. So next time you're on a night out after a hard day, either plowing a field or building an ottoman, raise a pint to the Sumerians. Then awkwardly try and explain to onlookers that you're doing it because a wrestling podcast you listened to was attempting to be highbrow and told you so. As well as being a work hard, play hard kind of lot, the Sumerians were great storytellers. Stories that would be shared through Akkadian epic poetry. Now I'm using epic for its intended term, not the way that we use it now when we describe a really nice sandwich we had last Friday. These poems would chronicle decades, centuries, and sometimes entire lifetimes of the people and the gods that watched over them. Today I'm gonna share with you one poem in particular, one that dates back to 2100 BC and is regarded as the earliest surviving work of literature, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Carved into 12 clay tablets, this poem recounts how Gilgamesh was granted total knowledge by the supreme Mesopotamian god Anu. With unsurpassed enlightenment, he painstakingly built the great city of Uruk, and in doing so, became the all-knowing and all-powerful king. 
the thing, though. He also became a bit of a dick with it all. Gilgamesh would make all the men in his city work non-stop, labour-intensive work in the blistering heat. And as he did, he would bed any woman in the city that he so chose, regardless of marital status. Now, one person caught wind of this and would not stand for it. Well, I say person, I mean goddess of Mesopotamian and Babylonian culture, Aurora, the creation goddess. She heard all this, and quite frankly, she was livid. The nerve of Gilgamesh being given godlike powers and acting like a complete moron. So, she decides to step in, and that's where we meet our second combatant for the first ever wrestling match, Enkidu the Fighter. Formed out of clay by Aurora herself and then cast into the wilderness just outside Uruk, Enkidu the fighter was placed on Earth to put a stop to Gilgamesh's evil doings. I know, right? It's basically Hogan Goldberg from WCW 98. All you gotta do is imagine Gilgamesh with a handlebar moustache, strolling into any maiden's room he so pleased, whilst playing his weightlifting belt like a guitar. As he does, a monster of a man is growing day by day, silently, patiently, building up strength and momentum in order to eventually storm the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Well, in this case, I mean the city of Uruk. Gilgamesh isn't aware of Enkidu's intentions, but mind you though, neither is Enkidu because he's grown up around wild animals, sleeping in forests, eating grass, fighting for sustenance. He is every bit a wild animal and has no idea of his purpose in life. A temple priestess named Shamhat moves our story along. She meets the wild, untamed, hairy, rather handsome Enkidu and decides to seduce him. She would take him on as almost a project, teaching him the ways of the world. And yes, I mean all the ways of the world. Now get your mind out of the gutter. I'm trying to talk about wrestling. And she starts to tell him about Gilgamesh. She speaks of how his incredible knowledge and power had corrupted him and how there seemed to be no way out for the desperate people of Uruk. It's at this point that Enkidu realises what his purpose in life truly is. He is here to challenge Gilgamesh and defeat Gilgamesh in a wrestling match. So, we finally come to it. The Mesopotamian WrestleMania, the Sumerian Starcade, the Middle Babylonian... Battle Bowl. While elements of this story I have shared with you today have been cliff noted, translators have been able to translate from the Akkadian clay tablet exactly how that first ever wrestling match went down. A plan was concocted by the temple priestess to sneak Enkidu into the bedroom of the maiden who that night Gilgamesh would uh, get it on like Donkey Kong with. Gilgamesh, surrounded by loyal yet terrified subjects, praised their king as he stepped towards the boudoir of his intended, where Enkidu was waiting. And that's where we go to Tablet 2 in the Epic of Gilgamesh to pick up the story. Enkidu blocked the entry with his foot and would not allow Gilgamesh to be brought in. They grappled with each other at the entry to the marital chamber. In the street, they attacked each other. The public square of the land, the doorpost trembled and the wall shook. Gilgamesh bent his knees with his other foot on the ground. His anger abated and he turned his chest away. After he turned his chest, Enkidu said to Gilgamesh, Your mother bore you ever unique. The wild cow of the enclosure, Nisun. The gods have destined for you the kingship over the kingdom. And they stopped fighting. 
So the first ever wrestling contest in recorded history ended in a draw. These two men battered each other through the city, neither man able to gain true advantage over the other. And when they settled, they kissed, they hugged, and they became best friends. And I know what you're thinking. Is this a face turn for Gilgamesh or a heel turn for Enkidu? Well, Gilgamesh was still very much a dick for a while, but over time his friendship with his more earthly counterpart would soften him. Now a tag team, Gilgadu would... Oh, Gilgadu, yeah, I've, I've merged their names together for ease. It was either that or Enkimesh or the Sumerian experience. Anyway, together, Gilgamesh and Enkidu headed out on adventures, killing demons and righting wrongs. It was the death of Enkidu that finally saw the complete babyface turn of Gilgamesh. He would return to Uruk as a sage king and would become a much fairer and wiser ruler. Now, I'm under no illusion that the first wrestling match was a six-star Meltzer classic. It certainly wasn't. It does sound like some guff 24-7 championship shenanigans on Monday Night Raw, but its historical importance cannot be understated. From the main event heel in Gilgamesh, the underdog babyface in Enkidu, the multi-year build akin to a great championship chase, and the eventual main event caliber battle, albeit to a non-finish, this was in every sense the first wrestling match in history. The day has come for Joe to make space for his new laptop. What a sleek and powerful machine. But instead of putting his new machine to the test, he's worried sick. It's already got a virus. Why, Joe? Why get something so great just to leave it open to attack? Well, worry no more. Only BT Broadband gives you expert security with tools worth over £100 to help protect you from cyber attack. Search BT Broadband. BT Beyond Limits. Terms apply. Verify bt.com slash verify security. We've read over 350 awesome books uh, and people always ask us, what's your favorite book of all time? Uh, it's very hard to do. So what we actually did was we, we created a document of our top 50 favorite books of all time. We had to have a few wars as to which books got in and which books didn't, but the end list is a phenomenal list of 50 awesome books. We've given you a little teaser of what you'll find in each of those books, plus we've ranked them in order from 50 all the way to our combined number one. If you want to get your hands on this document, it's a freebie. Head to whatyouwillearn.com slash top 50. That's whatyouwillearn.com slash T-O-P-5-0. Atlanta, 1996. Watching Kurt Angle standing on that Olympic podium, his gold medal around his neck and tears in his eyes is a powerful image. To wrestling fans like you and I, when we think of Olympic wrestling, this is what we see. One of the best pro wrestlers of all time, after owning the entire planet, emotionally accepting the top prize. Today, though, I want to tell you about the first Olympic wrestling superstar that precedes Kurt Angle by a good few thousand years. I mean, sure, winning the Olympics is amazing, but imagine winning it almost consistently for 30 years. And imagine the only thing more mind-blowing than the way you lived was the way you died. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing at this time, fighting out of 6th century Greece, this is a once-in-a-lifetime super athlete, Milo of Croton! Milo was born in the Magna Grecian city of Croton during a civilization uplift. 
a return to pre-Dark Ages prominence. There was overseas trade and commerce. There was a boom in education, art, and quality of life back home. And Ed Sheeran was number one in the charts. All right, that last bit I made up. It turns out, though, Aristotle, who is a key figure in ancient Greek philosophy, thought Galway Girl was a banger. Even in his teens, Milo's powerful physique was very much the talk of Croton. In researching Milo of Croton, I discovered just how much of a hard nut this lad was, right? He would regularly work out by lifting bulls over his shoulders. A statement of unearthly power and general show-offiness. They also say that his daily diet consisted of 20 pounds of meat, which is about the size of a sausage dog, 20 pounds of bread, and 20 pints of wine. That's basically a really good night for 20 people. That's what he would eat and drink in a day. The other story is that Milo was able to inflate the veins in his temple to such an extent he could pop part of his eyebrow open. <laughs> Milo of Croton, the true originator of the people's eyebrow. Yet the rock would obviously sort of fine-tune that and make it far less aneurysm-inducing when he gets his go in the 90s. Growing up, Milo befriended an intelligent young man who would become an ancient Greek rock star. That man's name was Pythagoras. It was even told that Milo saved Pythagoras' life one time when a banquet hall roof caved in around them. So to any math students around the world who are fed up with the Pythagoras theorem, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, you can thank Milo of Croton for all that nonsense because he saved his life when a roof nearly fell on him. This act of bravery and friendship would not be forgotten. And years later, Pythagoras would give Milo his blessing to marry his daughter. Now that is real friendship right there. Our story now takes Milo to Olympia, where he'll compete for the first time in the Olympic Games. The event, according to myth, was devised by the hero Heracles to honor the great god Zeus. Every four years, heralds would travel the major cities to announce the commencement of the Olympics and to seek participation. I presume they'd do this through local radio interviews. You know, they'd be interviewed by Jimmy Mandy and the morning crew, asked about the event, they'd play some wacky radio games and then they'd stick the new Ed Sheeran song on. One of the biggest attractions during the Olympic Games was combat events. A very primitive version of boxing was contested at the early Olympics, as well as a game called Pancration, which was kind of like an extreme rules match where everything and anything went, with the exception of biting and attacking the privates. Hey, you can smash me over the head with that vase all you like, Callias of Athens, but you keep your hands away from me fella under the robes, okay? Milo wasn't interested in the hardcore division and... Oh, gosh. Oh, imagine if Pancration was like the 24-7 title. Jeez, ancient Greek would be different. One minute you'd be admiring some fine Corinthian architecture and the next you'd be kicking out of a schoolboy roll-up by Socrates. Anyway, Milo was training for Palais, a traditional style of Olympic graps. You'd have to score three points to win a match, which you scored by knocking your opponent to the ground or by making your opponent submit in a hold. There was no gouging, no intentional hitting or kicking, no grabbing by the privates. That privates rule again. If you broke any of these rules, you would get an immediate whipping by the referee. <laughs> that is how you exert authority in a wrestling match. Milo was a natural in the wrestling world. He won the Boys Wrestling Championship at around 540 BC and would qualify for the men's division at the next Olympics. Over the next 10 years, Milo would win a total of five championships in Olympia. 
And he wasn't content with being the daddy of the Graps in one place. No, 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 no. Milo took his power and his skill on the road to the Nemean Games, to the Isthmian Games, and the Pythian Games in neighboring Delphi. At each of these events, Milo came, he saw, and he conquered, picking up more than 30 championships across all four events. Everybody that came up against Milo would find themselves in the same position, grasped tightly by Milo's mammoth physique and crushed like a marshmallow in a G-clamp. From there, they'd either tap out or pass out. Life for an Olympic wrestler at Olympia wasn't easy. The wrestlers were separated from the population before and during the event so they could focus 100% on distraction-free intensive training. So when Milo would emerge after months in near isolation, he would be a physical specimen. It's easy to see why, for well over two decades, Milo of Croton was the poster boy for wrestling. Milo mania was definitely running wild, brother. If t-shirts had been invented, he'd have sold millions. He was unstoppable. That was until 516 BC. A young wrestler from Croton stepped up to challenge Milo. Whilst this man's name seems to have been lost in history, what happened that day hasn't been. You see, the young man in question had been studying a new wrestling technique called acrocheriismos. Instead of brute strength, this method involved keeping your opponent at arm's length and keeping arms high. Milo found that when he came to hit triangle to execute his finisher, that punishing body grip that we discussed earlier, he couldn't get near the guy. Exposed and completely gassed, Milo crashed out. <laughs> Shortly after this, Milo stepped away from the ring and picked up a club. He would become the leader of the Crotonian army at around 500 BC when trouble started brewing between Croton and nearby Sybaris. Now this all kicked off when the oligarch was overthrown in Sybaris. They stripped the wealthiest citizens of everything they owned and they exiled them. Those who were cast out would seek refuge in Croton, something that the new, 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 new world order of Sybaris was not happy about. And they demanded they were returned. Croton, they were like, nah, we're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to come around your place and take everything you own. Oh, and the guy leading us, he's the best wrestler ever. So good luck, lads. The Cretonian army squashed Sybaris like it was a local wrestler in a Braun Strowman match. Now, Milo of Croton was praised as a great leader, a man who would show dominance everywhere, from the stadium to the battlefield. Whilst the date of Milo's death is unknown, the legend around how he died is amazing. The story goes he was trying to tear a tree down with his bare hands, just because he could. He got trapped in the trunk and ended up being eaten alive by a pack of wolves. Incredible pictures of his death have been painted by artists like Charles Marnier in 1795, which I can't help feels like a, feels like a bit of a dick move. Like, why would you capture for, for loved ones the moment that someone you care about died? But anyway, I'm not an artist. What do I know? Milo's legacy has lived on. The strength sports magazine Milo was named after our hero today. Weirdly, a chap in Australia named a chocolate drink after him as well. Not, not sure about that one. Maybe if it was a meat-based milkshake, that would have made more sense. 
Something that promises to give you animal lifting powers. I don't know. Milo of Croton lived as he died, being an absolute hard ass. Would Milo have, like Kurt Angle, wept as he received the trophy in Olympia? I mean, he might have done. We're all human after all. But I imagine that he'd have also smashed the podium to pieces and then eaten a dog. That's the Milo of Croton that I want to remember. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. to storytelling nobody does it like the ancient greeks do they wrestling too they loved wrestling today on wrestling curiosities we return to that marvelous mythology to see what happens when the strongest meets the smartest introducing first fighting out of ithaca and the windswept forest slopes of neriton the champion of the decade-long trojan war and the man about to rain 10 years of conflict down in 10 minutes he is odysseus the cunning his opponent. He is the grandson of Zeus and promises to become the daddy of all Trojans. He is the bulwark of the Archaeans. He is... What does bulwark mean? It, it means a defensive wall. Why do you just say wall? Why are you showing off? Why do you just... He is the bulwark of the Archaeans. He is Ajax the Great. 
In our first episode of Wrestling Curiosities, we read the epic poem that told the tale of the first wrestling match between Gilgamesh and Enkidu. We return to this historical narrative structure to share our Greek wrestling tale today. The Iliad and the Odyssey are epic poems written by Homer. No, not that Homer. Let's get that low-hanging fruit out of the way right now. Here's the thing, right? Depending what you believe, Homer is either one very clever person or the name of a collection of clever people working together. Regardless of whether it's one or many, the Iliad and the Odyssey were not just seen as important pieces of historical context, but also a sign of great standing within a community. If you had a mate that could recite the epic poems of Homer, then he was basically the leader of your mates. The poems were used when the Greeks advanced in performance art, as great stories would be acted out based on what had been written. Today, we continue that storied storytime tradition and recap the wrestling match between Odysseus and Ajax, a contest that took place during a moment of peace in a time of war. The war in question? Well, of course, the Trojan War. Written about hundreds of times, chronicled in books, TV shows, and a film with Brad Pitt in, the Trojan War was a big old kickoff between the Archaeans and the Trojans after Paris of Troy took Helen from the king of Sparta. You can blame Aphrodite, the ancient Greek goddess of love for that, who gave Helen a golden apple infused with powerful love magic that made her fall in love with Paris of Troy. Seriously, you think wrestling can be daft sometimes. You, you want to get yourself some Greek mythology. It's a riot. Nine years into the Trojan War, the beloved companion of Achilles, Patroclus, was slain by the Trojan prince Hector. Hector would regret that for the rest of his life. Luckily, his life wasn't that long after, as Achilles returned the favour by killing him and mutilating his body. The war would halt as either side mourned the loss of Patroclus and Hector, respectively. For the Archaeans, it was all about the funeral games, athletic, normally combatic contests held in honour of the recently passed on. Now, some of these events are immortalised on vases. So you may look at an ancient Greek bit of pottery and think it's some sort of celebration dance. It's not. It's normally a scrap to celebrate a death. The prizes for these contests varied. Quite often, they would be olive crowns made from the branches of sacred trees. They could also be precious metals, such as bronze, silver, gold, steel. They could be possessions of the deceased, such as their armour or their kitchenware. In at least one case, a mule was given as a prize in a boxing match. It's a bit like going on a quiz show in the 80s. Congratulations, you've just won a luxury tea set, a speedboat and a cow. On this day, Achilles offered prizes from his own collection. Gold, riches, finery and armour that he had amassed during the Trojan War would go to the winners of the various sporting contests. It was an incredible few days. The Trojans taking their minds from the horrors of war to engage in chariot races, throwing competitions and, most importantly to you and I today, wrestling matches. The match we're focusing on today is considered the most epic of the funeral games between two renowned champions of the Trojan army, Odysseus the Cunning and Ajax the Great. Ajax, as cousin of Achilles, the man who put this whole funeral games thing together, 
was very much the favorite. That and the fact that he was the strongest of all the Archaeans made him one to put your money on. In many years, the Trojan War had raged on. He'd been instrumental in some of the great successes the army had achieved. The Iliad describes Ajax as a strong, intelligent fighter who hadn't received a lick of damage during the entire war. I mean, he did have a little help from the god Poseidon, though, who struck Ajax with his staff and gave him renewed energy to fight one afternoon. Greek mythology, just roll with it. If you were keeping score in the war, Ajax would be on top of any Fortnite leaderboard. He killed more lords than any other on the battlefield. And on the day that Achilles' companion Patroclus was slain, he single-handedly killed 21 soldiers. <laughs> Who would dare, even if it was merely in an exhibition match, step up to this pan-Hellenic Hellraiser? This is where we meet Odysseus, the protagonist of Homer's Iliad, the top babyface, if you will. He was a reluctant hero at first. He wanted nothing to do with the ensuing Trojan War. So when he was called upon to enrol for the big fight, he pretended to be insane. When an emissary of the king popped round to Odysseus's place, he saw him ploughing a field with an ox and a donkey strapped together, throwing salt around instead of seed. This sadly didn't work. I doubt it would work now too, but it would probably make a really good viral video. Thing is, Odysseus was incredible in the battlefield, and his skill and cunning was a major part of the Greeks finally defeating the Trojans in the end. It was after nearly 10 years of stalemate, and with some divine inspiration from the goddess Athena, that Odysseus said, why don't we make like a massive wooden horse? All jump inside it, offer it to the Trojans as a peace offering, and when they're all asleep, just jump out and kill them all. Odysseus, the inventor of the Trojan horse. Now a famous term used by people after accidentally signing up to dodgy websites. So we come to it. The funeral games fight on the coastal sands that surrounded Troy. The strength of Ajax versus the intelligence of Odysseus. It is time to stop the talk and wrestle. Homer chronicles this epic bash at the beach in the Iliad. When they had both prepared, they entered the ring and came to grips. Clasping each other in their mighty arms, they locked together like sloping rafters that some skilled craftsman set in place on a tall house. Their backs creaked under the pressure of their strong hands, and the sweat ran down in streams, while many a blood-red welt appeared on their shoulders and ribs. Odysseus could no more trip Ajax and floor him than Ajax could move powerful Odysseus's firm stance. Ajax tried a lift, but Odysseus knew a trick or two. He kicked Ajax hard in the back of the knee and toppled him backwards, falling on his chest. The spectators looked on admiringly, and noble, long-enduring Odysseus in turn tried a lift. Raising him off the ground a fraction, they fell side by side, smothered in dust. They sprang up, ready for a third round, but Achilles restrained them. No more! Don't wear each other out. You are both victorious and shall have identical prizes. In the battle of strength versus intelligence, it went to a draw. Achilles knew that as much fun as it was to watch these guys wrestle, he needed them both by his side to eventually bring Troy to its knees. It wasn't worth damaging bones, pride or ego for the sake of an exhibition match. Not long after the funeral games, the Archaeans would rally 
And as you know by now, if you've read books, seen TV shows, or are just a Brad Pitt cinephile, Troy would fall to the Archaeans. It's in the final stages of the Trojan War that Achilles is slain, and Ajax and Odysseus put forward a combined effort to fight off remaining Trojans to retrieve his body. Both men claim Achilles' armour for themselves, this armour that was forged on Mount Olympus by gods specifically for his heroic deeds. It was believed to be infused with magic and power of the gods. It is determined by council that Odysseus is worthy of the armour, partly because Odysseus was far more eloquent in his explanation and partly because the goddess Athena had used her powers of persuasion over the council. The decision drives Ajax mad and leaves him to fall on his own sword. Odysseus, with the magic armour from Mount Olympus, now basically gets a spin-off series. His stories are told in the sequel to the Iliad, The Odyssey, which is a word that we still use now, conveniently. Ajax is still a word too. It's a football team, but pronounced slightly differently. And it's a brand of toilet cleaner, so yeah, I'm sure he's delighted with that legacy. Wrestling at a funeral was a great Archaean tradition and many more battles were held in memoriam. But none more famous than the one that we have shared today. Ajax the Great versus Odysseus the Cunning. Standing astride on the coast of Benghazi is an almighty figure. The strong, muscular frame staring out to the Mediterranean Sea belonged to the giant of Libya, Antaeus. He was waiting for fools who would dare to come ashore. When they did, they were met with a challenge by this robust stranger. A challenge to a wrestling contest on the beach right there and then. The visitor would either accept or decline. Either way, they'd get dropped by this apparent guardian of the island. It was almost as if he had some godlike powers. Greek mythology tells the story of Antaeus, the giant of Libya. Chances are his incredible power and physique came from his celebrity parents, Poseidon, the god of the sea, and Gaia, the goddess of the earth. Poseidon was a randy old mythological deity, as Gaia was one of many lovers that he took over his time. Gaia would bear him many children, one of which is currently standing on the coast of Benghazi, spoiling for a fight. There's certain perks that come when your mom is goddess of the earth, particularly if you're a confident meathead like Antaeus. You see, Gaia had healing powers, powers that came from deep in the ground. When Antaeus was wrestling new Libyan arrivals and he got knocked to the floor, he would become fully healed by the goddess of the earth. So every time this mighty giant, and it didn't happen very often, was felled, his proverbial power bar would be filled right back up. With new energy running through his veins, the giant of Libya would jump to his feet and drop his opponent quickly, decisively, and in some cases, fatally. <laughs> Nobody could topple Antaeus. Well, not nobody exactly. There was this one guy. 
A weary but stoic warrior was arriving on the coast of the Mediterranean. He was facing challenges set upon him by an angry, vengeful king for crimes against his family. Like Antaeus, he too had connections with the gods, for he was the son of the mighty Zeus and had a confidence and swagger befitting one of the most famous Greek heroes of all time. He was Heracles, although Disney would have us call him Hercules. The life and times of Hercules stretch beyond the all-singing, all-dancing Walt Disney animated special starring Danny DeVito. Today, we are focusing on the prior-hinted 12 labours of Hercules, a dodecagon of death-defying dares set out by angry King Eurystheus. He'd had quite the time of it so far, had Hercules. By this point, he had slayed the Nemean lion, slayed the nine-headed Lanika Hydra, captured the Cenarian hind, he'd also captured the Eremethean boar in the process, he cleaned the organ stables in one single day, slayed the Stymphalian birds, captured the Cretan bull, stole the mares of Diomedes, obtained the girdle of Hippolyta, that's another story for another time, obtained the cattle of the monster Geryon, and he was about to steal the apples of Hesperides. He's had quite the list to burn through. Eight years into his ironically Herculean challenge, the most epic act of scrumping was next on the docket, providing Hercules could find where the apples grew. Libya was the next place on his list, as was a meeting with Libya's infamous grappling son of the gods. The moment that Hercules arrived, Antaeus approached him and threw down the metaphorical gauntlet to a clash of the titans. If you wish to enter these lands, you must face me in a wrestling match. Defeat me and you may walk free. If I defeat you, you won't be walking anywhere. <laughs> After almost a decade of traveling the globe, staring death in the face a thousand times over while slaying monsters and men alike, Hercules stared at Antaeus as the impromptu wrestling match was announced and said in a mighty voice, Oh, really, mate? Oh, I've been through hell. Like, look, I really, I really can't be asked." He didn't say that, of course. This is Hercules! He's got golden apples to steal from a garden that is presumably protected like Fort Knox. He might as well warm up with a Mediterranean smackdown. The wrestling match began. <laughs> and Texas biceps were popping as he held the mighty Hercules in his grasp. <laughs> As the Libyan giants prepared to quickly put down Herc, the son of Zeus, showed hitherto untold strength, overpowering Antaeus, and he took control of the grapple, launching the giant into the air. Antaeus crashed to the ground. But before Hercules could hit his victory taunt, this monster of a half-man was getting back to his feet. Shoulders pushed back, and chest pushed out, somehow, Hercules thought, this guy looked bigger than before. By virtue of hitting Mother Earth, Antaeus had been revitalized by his mother, Earth. Before Herc could react to this twist of fate, he'd been punched firmly in the stomach and was flying through the air, about to hit the... He just hit the rocks 15 feet away. 
Several more attempts were made by Hercules to fell Antaeus, but the Libyan giants just kept getting stronger and stronger. Now, there must have been something about the way Herc's head bounced off the floor for the 11th time that made a light bulb go off. Antaeus was getting strength somehow from the ground. I'd like to think that the giant had let it slip accidentally after patting the grass and saying, Cheers, Ma, as he got back to his feet. Give up, Hercules. I am the son of Poseidon and Gaia. The sea and the earth bow to me. You are no match for... Antaeus didn't finish his promo. He was grabbed around the waist by Hercules and held off the ground in the most incredible bear hug that Greek mythology has ever seen. Herc felt the muscles tearing in his arms as he tightened his grip around Antaeus's stomach. With his feet off the floor, he couldn't run to mother for help and try as he might, he couldn't break this vice-like grip of the god-like Herc. His strength almost gone after what felt like an eternity of holding the giant aloft, Hercules gave one final squeeze and crushed the ribs of the Libyan giant. All the power bestowed by Gaia left the body of Antaeus along with his life force. And with that, a weary Hercules stepped over the giant frame of Antaeus and continued on his quest. He wouldn't be remembered as the greatest wrestler in Greek mythology, but there is a special place in the books for Antaeus, a young and powerful man bestowed with a heady combination of confidence and arrogance due to his famous, more powerful parents. A power that he used not to fight in legendary wrestling contests like Milo of Croton had done, nor to compete for the respect of his peers like Odysseus and Ajax had done. No, it was a power that he used to basically show off to strangers. It was only a power he was willing to use against people beneath him and people that he caught by surprise. The one time a real fighter stepped up, a main event guy, if you will, he was felled fatally. For that, we pay our respects to arguably Greek mythology's finest mid-card heel, the giant of Libya, Antaeus. Where did it all start? We know who's good at it. We know who cheated at it. We know who's made a lot of money out of it. We even know who first fought at it. But where did wrestling begin as a sport? Maybe its origins lie in Greek mythology. Many Greek characters from history have proven themselves to be adept at wrestling. So let's follow this thread all the way up to the top of the proverbial tree, all the way up to the heavens. Ladies and gentlemen, fighting out of Arcadia, she is the Greek goddess of wrestling, Palestra! There is indeed a Greek god or goddess for everything, it seems. So it's only right that we round out this series of wrestling curiosities with a deep dive into the life and times of wrestling's deity.
It all starts in the Greek utopia of Arcadia. This is where gods, goddesses, and other mythical and inhuman spirits would converge, share ideas, probably smite a wrong one or two. On a normal day, in the wide open greens of Arcadia, you'd see the king of Arcadia and his daughter Atalanta. Pan, the god of the wild, charging around on his hind quarters, and the messenger for Mount Olympus, Hermes. You're now thinking, ah, that's where the delivery company gets its name from. Hermes was a very busy boy, outside of being basically postman to the gods. To give him his full title, he was Hermes, god of trade, wealth, luck, fertility, animal husbandry, sleep, language, thieves, and travel. That's, that's quite a lot of hats. As well as all of those, he also found time to take over 20 lovers. I am beyond impressed with Hermes' time management skills. That's incredible. From these romantic dalliances, Hermes fathered 20-plus children, such as Hermaphrodite, the son of Hermes and Aphrodite, and Evander, who brought the Greek laws and pantheon to Italy and founded the site of Rome 60 years before the Trojan War. We're now getting into the life of Palestra, and here is where history is a little bit jumbled. Two writers have biographied our hero, Philostratus the Elder, and Greek commentator Servius. The story is similar, but with one massive, kind of cringe-worthy difference. You see, Philostratus the Elder depicts Palestra as one of Hermes' lovers, whereas Servius seems to recall that Palestra is Hermes' daughter. Yeah, that's, that's quite the world of difference there, lads. It's quite the world of difference. Palestra was, according to the telling by Servius, the daughter of then King of Arcadia, Corius. Servius goes into some of the greater depth of Palestra, the birth of the sport of wrestling, and the grave consequences as a result of it. Palestra had two brothers, Prince Plexippus and Prince Enitus. During family time, Plexippus and Enitus would compete at trying to take each other to the ground. Sometimes their father would step in to compete against his offspring. Most of the time he would act as referee. He quite enjoyed the aesthetic. Bit weird that. At this time, Palestra was also the lover of Hermes, the chap we talked about earlier on, the, the postman to the gods. There's a million other hats as well. Palestra told Hermes all about her brother's game, and Hermes was fascinated by it. In fact, he wanted to share this incredible game with all of Arcadia. This competition that Palestra told him about that would test the power of people. You know, the basic challenge where one must try and pull the other to the ground, where, where one must rest the other. Hermes thought, maybe wrestling, that's what we call it. We call it wrestling. So Hermes created some rudimentary rules to go along with this and offered it to anyone who would listen. Very soon, ancient Greece was excitedly trying their hand at wrestling. The gods in Olympia even deemed it worthy as a competitive sport in the Olympic Games. Palestra's brothers, Plexippus and Enitus, soon discovered their cheeky game of roughhousing was common knowledge, and Hermes was getting all the credit. Plexippus and Enitus did whatever any bratty brother would do. They went and told their dad on their sister. 
King Corius was unimpressed with Palestra's lover's actions and ordered his siblings to punish Hermes for the disrespect caused. What fitting punishment would the brothers bestow upon Hermes, the lover of their sister who had stolen their family activity for social clout? A fine, maybe? A thousand years imprisoned by the king? A good beating in an alley by a chip shop? No, no, none of those would suffice. They instead went for a slightly overzealous approach and removed Hermes' arms and legs. Plexippus and Enitus punished Hermes, the Mount Olympus messenger, by preventing him from ever messaging again. Hermes informed Zeus of what had happened to him, and it's written that the god of Olympus was so angry that his trusted messenger had been mutilated in such a foul manner that he turned Corius, Plexippus, and Enitus into ashes. Since Hermes could no longer practice it, since her entire family had now been disintegrated, Palestra, arguably the one that in this story at least caused all the bother, was declared the goddess of wrestling. So that's one version of events. The other paints Palestra in quite a different light. We're still in Arcadia for this one. Hermes is still messenger, god of a billion different things and part-time Lothario. But in Philostratus, the elder's version of events, Palestra is a doting daughter rather than a darling dearest. This version of events starts with a strong description of what Palestra looked like as a young woman. The figure of Palestra, if it be compared with a boy, will be that of a girl. But if it be taken for a girl, it would still seem to be a boy. For her hair is too short to be twisted into a knot. The eye might be that of either sex. And the brow indicates disdain for both lovers and wrestlers. For she claims that she is able to resist both the one and the other. And that not even in a wrestling belt could anyone touch her breasts. So much does she excel in the art. According to Philostratus the Elder, Palestra, a daughter of Hermes, was believed to have grown up in Arcadia, which connected her with Olympia and the Olympic Games. Palestra didn't want to be ladylike in any way. She detested the way that goddesses dressed, spoke, breathed, everything. Palestra was really very much against the idea of anything feminine. Palestra was born with fair skin, akin to other goddesses. So that had to go as well. A story Philostratus tells describes the time that Palestra asked the sun god Helios to tan her skin to remove any remaining trace of perceived femininity and also to make her stand out from all the other goddesses. Palestra devised a sporting endeavour that would further distance herself from other goddesses and also make sure that men knew not to mess with her romantically or otherwise. She would challenge her male counterparts to fight until one could take the other to the ground. Whoever remained stood at the end was the winner. Simples. The first few men who tried this did so completely underestimating Palestra, just seeing another dainty woman who they could easily dominate. No sooner had they agreed to the exhibition were they on their back, felled by the superior upper body strength of Palestra. 
Whilst taking down men was a fun way to kill time, it would prove to be a valuable part of training for men during peacetime, as Palestra pitched this idea of a sporting endeavour to the gods of Olympia. The sport was adapted and adopted by the Olympic Games, given the title of wrestling, as if to rest one to the ground, and soldiers would use it to test their worth against other brothers in arms, a suitable way of staying in good shape during times of peace, and also a great way of showcasing physical strength to rival cities at Olympic events. It was very common that cities from around ancient Greece would converge for Olympic activities, so they would want to make sure that whoever was sat in the away end would see just how strong the Home end was. The act of wrestling became a staple part of wrestling events and still is to this day an Olympic event envisioned and perfected by Palestra, the goddess of wrestling. So that telling might be the true story behind Palestra. Maybe it was the one we mentioned before. There's actually another version of events in which Palestra is the daughter of a guy who lived at a crossroads outside Arcadia and just killed passers-by. Could be that one. Could be none of them. Probably none of them, because it's mythology after all. But in the true spirit of professional wrestling, sometimes it's all about telling a great story, isn't it? Greek mythology is full of stories that tie in wrestling in some way, shape, or form. Like the time where Thor, the Greek god, wrestled this massive old woman. And when... Maybe that's... Maybe that's a story for Wrestling Curiosities Season 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 